I got to tell you, you know, I've been in law enforcement for 31 years, and you always say I have never witnessed a crime like this or it shocks the conscience. And then a crime like this occurs, and you realize just how cold-blooded and calculating and what a human piece of trash we're dealing with here. That was Volusia County Sheriff Mike Chitwood giving me his thoughts on the gunman who killed a good Samaritan who had tried to help a stranger pull a car out of a ditch. That story and more are coming up on Sun Crime State. I'm Tony Holt, crime reporter for the Daytona Beach News Journal. Welcome to Sun Crime State, a weekly podcast that takes an in-depth look at Florida's biggest crime stories of the past and present. Later in this episode, I'll profile a 44-year-old murder case out of Niceville, a small town located in the Florida Panhandle. Investigators believe the 19-year-old victim in that case was shot by the same gun that was used six months later during an attempted abduction of a 15-year-old girl 10 miles away in Shalimar. My special guest for that episode will be Sergeant Nelsie Suhi Moore of the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office. For those listening to this podcast online, you may subscribe by clicking on the podcast icon at the top right of the Sun Crime State logo. That way, you can hear the show on your phone and take it anywhere. Coming up, the story about the Good Samaritan who was gunned down in Deltona. 60-year-old Carlos Cruz, a U.S. Army veteran, was fatally shot moments after witnessing a car crash into a ditch near his Deltona home on Veterans Day. According to the Volusia County Sheriff's Office, Cruz went to give aid to a stranded motorist. While he was helping, and while he wasn't looking, he was shot by one of the car's occupants. The culprit then stole his truck and drove it to Pine Hills near Orlando and set it on fire. The sheriff's office is offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction in Cruz's death. Deputies said Cruz was in his driveway when he heard a crash and went to see what happened. After seeing a Chrysler 200 stuck in the ditch, Cruz offered to help. He returned to the scene of the wreck with his pickup to pull the Chrysler out of the ditch. That's when he was shot. What happened? We think they just they, they, they killed him. Uh, I don't even think they had the guts to look him in the face when they shot him. I think he was, he was doing something to help get that car out of there when they shot him. Cruz's body was found around 8 p.m. by a man walking his dog in the area. He called 911 after seeing the car in the ditch and seeing a man lying next to it. The car's passenger door and trunk were open. Chitwood said the crime scene indicates that Cruz did not resist. He didn't have time. He was ambushed. Cruz's niece, who lives in Boston, wrote an email to the news journal. In it, she stated, quote, we lost Carlos well before we should have, apparently because he was doing what came natural to him, helping out when he saw a need. 
Chitwood thinks the suspect has probably said something to someone and is also capable of inflicting more violence to more people. I have no doubt in my mind that somebody bragged to somebody that, hey, look what I did or this where I was at, and, and we, we need your help because this person needs to be in a cage. He doesn't need to be out amongst the rest of us uh, walking the streets because if, if he's your friend, he may not be your friend for a real long, for every long time. He could end up with a couple bolts in your head, too. So he, he needs to be t- taken in and taken into custody now. Coming up. In our Only in Florida segment, a story of a Holly Hill woman who was shot in front of her home on her birthday. Nine one one, where is your emergency? Oh my God, I just got shot. I just got shot. Okay, where are you? I just got shot. Police say Catherine Hill was shot in the front of her Holly Hill home Friday morning during a botched drug transaction. The gunman, who was described as being between the ages of 18 and 20 and sporting a mohawk and mustache, fled the scene and wasn't caught. He remains at large. The 32-year-old gunshot victim was taken to a local hospital after being shot in the leg. Police said they responded at 9.08 a.m. to Hill's home on Elsie Avenue after receiving two 911 calls, one from a neighbor who said she heard four gunshots and another from Hill herself. Hill started to become hysterical while talking to the 911 operator. Is the person that shot you still there? I think so. I think so? I think so. I think so. Okay. Just stay on the line with me. What's your name? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's on my What's your name? It's all my fault. What's your name, man? It's all my fault. I got shot. I got shot. Okay. I got shot. Stay calm. I've already got them on the way to you. What's your oh name? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I got shot. Can oh you my verify God, I got your address? Oh, yes. I'm going to come back here and shoot me. By then, the gunman was long gone. Hill has a long history of drug arrests. In February 2016, she was sent to prison after being convicted on burglary and drug possession charges. She was released after serving 14 months. Her criminal record also includes arrests for heroin possession. During Hill's 911 call Friday, she started conveying guilt for getting involved in drugs again. I got shot in my right leg. I don't know. I can't feel it. Anybody else injured or is it just you? I don't know. I can't feel it. Okay. We're getting an ambulance there. Okay. Are, do you have any? Are you bleeding? Yes, I'm really bleeding. Really badly? Okay. Are you, you, are you really? looking at me, cough to stop the bleeding for where you I don't off? know. I can't move. I know. Okay. You give me a second. <laughs> You okay? Are you the only person that oh my god. Oh my god. What's your name? I have an officer on scene. You're doing a really good job. What's your name? Fuck, what did you want? I thought he was going to shoot some more. I'll be getting some drugs. Coming up. In our Looking Back segment, I'll discuss a 44-year-old cold case out of Okaloosa County 
involving the shooting death of a 19-year-old female whose partially clothed body was found in some woods near a country club. On November 23, 1973, the body of Teresa Dusevich was found lying in some thick woods less than 20 feet from State Road 285 near Niceville. Teresa, who was 19 when she was killed, was in the process of moving out of her ex-boyfriend's home and getting ready to move back in with her parents and Valparaiso. More than four decades later, there was little else known about Teresa. Her family moved out of state after her death, and they didn't look back. Memories of the victim seem to have faded away in the military-oriented community in which a significant portion of the residents stay only for a few years before being stationed elsewhere. But there is one person who still constantly thinks about Teresa. Sergeant Nestle Suhi Moore is a patrol supervisor at the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office. For years, she was a cold case investigator. Suhi Moore helped solve two of her agency's cold cases, including one that led to a manslaughter conviction and the discovery of the victim's body. But the Teresa Dusevich slang was one case she was unable to crack. A new investigator is now in charge of it, but Suhi Moore still knows it better than anyone. In spite of not being born before Teresa was slain, in spite of not having any contact with Teresa's family or having anyone call her every anniversary of the murder, pestering her about new leads in the case, Suhi Moore stayed with it. She and I recently spoke for more than an hour about the case, and she talked to me about how she is able to remain focused, even a little obsessed, when it comes to cold case investigations. I think going into law enforcement, you know, people make the decision to, to take on this career because they, they, you know, as corny as it sounds, they want to help people. And for me, that was kind of always my drive in, in my career field and my life. And at the end of the day, she's a victim of a crime, the most heinous crime you can be a victim to. And um, she no longer has a voice. So it was my job to be her voice. Teresa did something the night of her murder that seemed normal at the time, but would be considered a dangerous move today. Teresa wanted to get to her ex-boyfriend's house, but she had no car, so she sought transportation, David Banner style. Back then, in the 1970s, it was common for you to hitchhike, you know? You didn't think twice about hitchhiking, and she... Teresa had told her friend that she was going to hitchhike to her ex-boyfriend's trailer to get the rest of her clothing uh, that was there because they had just split up and she was going to move back in with her family. Her ex-boyfriend was interviewed. He told detectives he never saw Teresa the night she was killed. Teresa also never made it to her parents' house. She was seen the night of November 22nd, 1973 at the Matador, a popular bar in the area at the time. Witnesses told investigators they saw Teresa leave the bar with an unknown man, but that could never be verified. 
One person who did see Teresa shortly before she was killed was her closest friend. Her name has never been disclosed. She's never been a suspect. In fact, even though the woman is now in her 60s, she remains spooked over the fact that her best friend's killer could still be on the loose. To this day, um, is very terrified in life because of the circumstances surrounding her friend's death and the fact that um, the murderer was never caught. Teresa's body was found 44 years ago Thursday in a wooded area near the Rocky Bayou Country Club. Her blouse was pulled over her head. Her jeans were pulled down toward her knees. It was possible she could have been sexually battered before her death. But forensic testing in 1973 was almost non-existent. Back in the 70s, you you didn't collect that type of stuff because there wasn't a lab that you sent that DNA evidence to. If there was evidence left anywhere on Teresa's body, it wasn't collected. A sign of the times. In today's world, we swab underneath fingernails. We, you know, we swab, you know, neck areas in case if we suspected strangulation. You know, we we will take swabs from anywhere in the hopes that our offender's DNA is on them. But back in the 1970s, they didn't. We didn't do that. Many of the clothes that were on Teresa's body when it was found likely were turned over to the family. However. A blood-soaked jacket was found near the scene, and it was kept as evidence. So was a ripped pair of pink underwear found close to the body. Suhi Moore told me she resubmitted the jacket to a lab for testing after she took over the case. But the jacket was so saturated with blood, and that blood was so old and had deteriorated so much that nothing could be tested. The same went for the underwear which was made of rayon. The fibers had disintegrated to the point that no evidence could be collected from them. The bullet that was recovered from Teresa's skull was the one piece of evidence investigators had. It could have come from a 38 caliber revolver or a 357. About six months after Teresa was killed, a 15-year-old girl was shot in a neighboring town. That shooting was soon linked to Teresa's murder. So she was shot in May of 1974 um, in a town called Shalimar. And she was walking from her house to the little convenience store and was approached by um, what she described a light-skinned black male driving a um, large four-door car. And she accepted a ride from him and she says that he solicited her for sexual intercourse and when she attempted to get out of the vehicle he tried to stop her she jumped from the moving vehicle and was shot um, in the buttocks which exited through her thigh that girl's name has never been released i'll identify her here as liz just as liz jumped out of the moving vehicle her assailant fired a bullet into her buttocks In spite of her gunshot wound, and in spite of jumping out of a moving car, the girl ran to the house across the yard she jumped into and screamed for help. Her shooter fled, and he was never caught. A day or two later, a person walking along the road found the bullet that injured the girl. 
it was turned over to law enforcement. Investigators confirmed the bullet came from the same gun used on Teresa. Suhi Moore met with the victim recently. The two sat down, and Liz, who by then was well into her 50s, described everything she remembered. For her, kind of reciting the events that had happened on that day in May in 1974, it was like it had just happened. You know, she remembered everything so vividly. She was uh, visually upset trying to kind of go through the events that day when I asked her to tell me about, you know, the incident and, and what had happened. So Liz, just like Teresa's close friend from 44 years ago, remains scared. It goes to show how much victims' fears still linger when criminals aren't caught, even so many years later. Investigators were able to nail down the connection between Teresa's murder and Liz's shooting, but they aren't as sure about whether to link them to another crime. I'm referring to yet another 44-year-old murder case that's never been solved. The March 12, 1973 slaying of Deborah Espy. Deborah disappeared that night from Okaloosa Walton Junior College in Niceville. Her body was found in a shallow grave a short distance from where Teresa's body would be found later that year. Deborah, who liked Teresa, was 19 when she was killed. She was missing for about a month before her corpse was discovered. Teresa's cause of death was a bullet wound to her head, but Deborah's cause of death was blunt force trauma. An iron was found near Deborah's body, and investigators think maybe that was the murder weapon. She was found naked from the waist down. Her clothing and her other possessions were scattered around the crime scene. Unlike the case with Teresa, where an acquaintance couldn't provide specifics on who they last saw her with, one eyewitness did see Deborah with someone before she died. The witness was a custodian at the college, and he identified the man he saw Deborah with by name. He also knew the man's car. The custodian even said that it was an American Rambler. Uh, and he identified the driver. So he was the last person to see her alive, so to speak, and basically identified a potential suspect. But of course, you know, that star witness is now dead. The man with Deborah that night was closely watched by law enforcement for at least a full year after Deborah's murder. Even though he was never charged, his name still hasn't been scratched off the list of potential suspects. He remains a person of interest to this day. He now lives out of state. His name has never been released to the media. Suhi Moore has mixed feelings about whether the murders of Teresa and Deborah are connected. I honestly don't know whether or not those murders are connected or if they were just, you know, similar aged victims in a very small town. I can absolutely understand why they believed that those murders were potentially connected. You know, it's 1973 in a small town where those types of crimes don't happen. And here in April of 1973, you have a young girl murdered and then six, seven months later, another young girl is murdered and they're both found in wooded areas. Anybody would make that connection. I pressed her a little bit more on that. 
I asked her whether she was leaning toward these cases being linked. I, I, you know, it's hard to say that because, you know, you just never know when you're putting that puzzle back together, especially one that's 40 years old. I don't want to say that they're not connected, but in my gut, I would tell you no. Okaloosa had a surprisingly high number of murders during the 1970s, and a number of them, in which the victims were young females, remain unsolved. There is the June 1975 murder of Lynn Pyatt of Memphis, Tennessee, who was vacationing on Okaloosa Island when her battered body was found in the surf in broad daylight. That case went cold. She, too, was 19. There's also the murder of Bonnie Gale Reither. She was 27 when she was killed. She disappeared on April 4, 1978, and like Deborah, she was later found dead in a shallow grave. Her cause of death was strangulation. Like Teresa, Bonnie was seen leaving a bar late that night. Fingerprints were found in Bonnie's car near her body, but they've never been matched to anyone. Rumors have long swirled about a serial killer in Okaloosa, and maybe that serial killer was an airman and stationed at nearby Eglin Air Force Base when he committed his series of killings. Connected or not, all those killings certainly put the Niceville community on edge. Is this somebody that was passing through? Was this somebody that is living locally among us? You know, that's kind of got an, an, another life that they're living. Um, you know, so I think that's where we would fall back into that very unsettling, unnerving feeling because, you know, they, to this day, we don't know who committed these crimes. It hasn't all been bad news on the cold case front in Okaloosa. A few have been solved, including the August 1975 murder of Catherine Ainsworth. In 2012, her killer was identified. But he died in 2006, so Catherine's killer was never brought to justice. In October 2011, Marie Carlson was killed. Her body wasn't discovered until five years later, when her killer, former pastor James Flanders, admitted that he had suffocated her and buried her body in a yard in Ocean City. In exchange for a guilty plea to a lesser charge of manslaughter, Flanders led authorities to Marie's body. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison. In February 1985, Donald Tidwell was fatally stabbed in an Okaloosa Island motel room. His killer, Mickey Lee Wilson, pleaded guilty in 2014 for the murder. A DNA hit led to his arrest. Wilson was already serving a life sentence in Georgia and received a second one in Florida for what was then a 29-year-old homicide case. Suhi Moore played an active role in solving both the Donald Tidwell and Marie Carlson slangs. She wishes for another big story about a solved case to be done soon. Not for the sake of more fame, but for the victims. Teresa's unsolved murder has been one case that has fascinated and frustrated Suhi Moore. And her commitment is the same today as it was a decade or so ago when she started actively working it.
I think any law enforcement officer that participates in a homicide investigation um, has that feeling solely because you now become that victim's voice. You become the person that carries on, so to speak, the hunt to find who who did this to, to somebody because at the end of the day, nobody deserves this type of death. Anyone with information on the slayings of Teresa Dusevich or Deborah Espy is urged to call the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office at 850-651-7400. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week when I take a close look at the murder of Washington Redskins Pro Bowl safety, Sean Taylor, who was killed by intruders in his Miami area home 10 years ago. Among my special guests next week will be ESPN reporter John Kime and former USA Today NFL writer Skip Wood. Join us then. You can find Tony on Twitter at Tony Crime Writer or email him at Tony.Holt at news-jrnl.com. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. Sun Crime State is recorded by Tony Holt and produced by Chris Bridges for the Daytona Beach News Journal.